You've heard me talk about the Mishnah before. Uh, the Mishnah was uh, the attempt of the Jewish nation to codify or write down all of their oral traditions. Uh, there were, throughout uh, the latter part of uh, Jewish history leading up to the first century, uh, there were all of these Jewish traditions that had evolved. I won't go into the reasons for that, but they were all oral. They were all transmitted by one person telling another person, by parents telling their children, by being taught in the synagogue. In a variety of ways, these oral traditions were passed on. So the Jews were afraid that the traditions would be forgotten. So around 200 to 250 A.D., there was a rabbi named uh, uh, Hanasi, Rabbi Hanasi, who codified, who wrote down those traditions so that they would be in print form. So when you read the Sermon on the Mount, it sounds like Jesus is taking on the Mishnah, although the, at the time of Jesus, the Mishnah has not been codified. It's not been written down. It's still oral. But they were still very active and very much part of Jewish life. So you'll hear Jesus say things like, You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. So it's like this debate going on in what Jesus is teaching his disciples. So you find this, this phrase, uh, you've heard it was said, but I say to you in five, Matthew 5.21, So quite a bit of that sort of comparison going on. And I mention that because what Jesus is doing is he's saying what's really important to God and to me, is that your heart be oriented in the right direction. More so than your rituals or your traditions. That's really kind of the essence of it. So you'll hear Jesus saying things like this. Anger is tantamount to murder. Wow. But if you approach that ritualistically, what you end up saying is, it doesn't matter how angry I am at Jared as long as I don't punch him in the face. You know, that was kind of the upshot of that. Jesus said, if you lust after a woman, it's tantamount to going to bed with her. Wow. Well, in a porn-driven culture, you can see why that's an important command. You can see why Jesus was saying, this is important for you to understand. So Jesus is taking the oral tradition and he's saying it doesn't go far enough. It doesn't do the work in our lives where we really need to have it worked. And that is in our hearts. 
Jesus' frequent battles with the Jewish leaders often centered on this very thing of ritual versus intent. Uh, The Sabbath was made for man, Jesus says, not the man for Sabbath. Uh, And this had to do with picking grain on the Sabbath. When his disciples were hungry, they picked some grain and they got criticized by the religious leaders. And Jesus says, wait a minute. That's not why we have that command. The Sabbath was made for man, for his good, for his well-being, not man for the Sabbath. It goes beyond ritual, Jesus is saying. After he heals a man with a, a crippled hand, he gets criticized, again, for violating Sabbath. And Jesus says, wait a minute. Is it doing good for the man and healing his hand that is the higher good, that's the better thing? Or is it the fact that you kept this tradition? Really reminds me of some of the insane laws that we have today that ignore humanity and go to extremes in in other sorts of ways, totally ignoring mankind. Given the history that Jesus had with the Pharisees, it's really not unusual to see the conflict that develops in chapter 15, where Jesus talks about what really defiles us. It's not unusual. So you have the disciples uh, being questioned by the Pharisees, why aren't you washing your hands? Now, he's not talking about you've come in from gardening and your hands are all dirty and so you wash them before he's not talking about that he's talking about ceremonial washing and what what the Jews are saying what the religious leaders I should say are saying is that you didn't go through the ceremony you didn't go through the ritual therefore you're eating your meal with unclean unwashed hands Jesus had a (laughs) He really had a habit of violating their ceremonial purity laws. According to Mark 5.27, he touches a woman who has an issue of blood, Mark says. Well, that rendered Jesus unclean by ceremonial laws. Uh, A still more severe defilement was when uh, Jesus enters this house where this little girl is dead. It was... It made you unclean to go in a room with a dead body. And Jesus goes in and and touches her and heals her. Uh, We also know that Jesus touched lepers. That was another thing that would render you unclean. But what I'm suggesting to you and what I hope that you get out of all this is that Jesus is saying that what... God wants goes much deeper than what you do on the surface. Having disciples that did not perform the ritual ceremony was horrific to these religious leaders. Uh, Some people think this tradition arose in uh, about 70 AD after Titus, the Roman emperor, comes in and destroys the temple in Jerusalem. Some, they think it come, came sometime after that. But Jesus is quick to show that keeping traditions 
has very little to do with the integrity and wholeness of one's life. So I can go to church on Sunday and keep the rituals, but on Monday live like hell. Can't I? I can mistreat my fellow employees. I can use all sorts of rank language. I can do anything I want to do on Monday as long as I keep the rituals on Sunday. And Jesus says, no, not so much. The way you live really is important to God. I'm, I'm reminded of, you. we all know the story at uh, LifeSpring about the, uh, the young woman that cut the end off the ham before she put it in the pan. You remember that story? And she asks her mom, why do we cut the end off the ham? Well, my pan was too short. You know. And, and a lot of times that's what we do is we, we hand down traditions and we don't really think about what was involved and why they exist and how they affect our lives. Jesus, in declaring that <coughs> food doesn't corrupt a per, uh, person, was overturning a centuries-old belief in the value of ritual and symbolism. Uh, if you recall... Well, that's farther down in my notes. Wait till I get to that. But, for example, uh, G Jeremiah warned, do not trust these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. Uh, Jews, during the time of, of Babylon, or just before Babylonian captivity, used to say, God would never beat up on us. We got the temple. God's going to protect us, not going to let anything happen to us. We got the temple. Look, there's the temple. And it was like they were relying on the traditions and, and all the things that existed while neglecting the moral integrity of the nation. And Jeremiah says you need to quit relying on stuff like that. You need to quit saying stuff like that. Amos Speaking for God, warned, I hate, I despise your festivals. Did you ever think that you would hear God say, I hate your religious festivals? Seems kind of odd, doesn't it, to be hearing that from God. But the reason that God says that is because they were divorced or separated from integrity, from heart stuff. Jesus says to the religious leaders, Woe to you! You tithe, mint, annas, and cumin, but neglect the weightier matters of the law. I just wrote a, my blog for this week leading up to this sermon. It's called The F Word. And uh, uh, I hope I made you curious and that you'll go read it. But uh, what I what I call the stuff that Jesus is talking about are the nuclear virtues. They're the big things. He says, you're really good at tithing, mint, and annas, and coming. You tithe, 
these little tiny things, these little spices. You go in your spice cabinet and you pull out these bottles of spices and you take a tenth of every one of them. And you are so meticulous about that. But you neglect the weightier stuff. The stuff of integrity and the way you treat other people and, and, and that. Isaiah said, uh, these people honor me with their lips tradition, but their heart is far from me. We really can live in that split sort of way, can't we? We can live one way on Sunday and another way on Monday. How much this focus affected the Jews was, was seen especially in uh, Peter. This is in Acts 10. Peter's on the roof of a house he was staying in. That was Customary, their houses were not peaked like ours, so this flat roof, Peter's up there taking a nap, and he has this dream. And in this dream, this net comes down, and this net has in it every kind of unclean animal there was. And in the dream, God says to Peter, throw a barbecue, Peter. Here, here's you some nice barbecued meat. I'm, of course, you know, exaggerating. But Peter says... I can't eat that stuff. That's unclean. Second time, net comes down, same dream. God says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter says, I've never eaten that stuff. That's unclean. God finally says to Peter, Peter, do not call unclean what, I've, what I have called unclean. Peter didn't realize it, but a little bit later that day, there's a knock on the door, and it's some people from Cornelius, a Roman soldier, an unclean, uncircumcised individual, calling for Peter to come teach them the gospel. And Peter goes, Ah, oh, I get it. I get it. And so he goes to Cornelius' house and, and teaches him, and Cornelius becomes what is known in the New Testament as the first Gentile non-Jew convert. Wonderful story. And it comes out of this violation of tradition, of, of God saying, I want you to rethink <clears throat> what you consider to be important in life. So in the New Testament, there's a turn away from ritual and a a turn toward authentic behavior. So in Romans 14, Paul says it doesn't matter whether the food you offer is clean or unclean. What matters is how it affects your brother or sister. He's referring to meat offered to idols. So uh, back in that day, it was very common to go to, uh, to the temple of a, a false god and buy meat at their meat market. When you went and bought meat at their meat market, uh, it was meat that had been sacrificed on an idol to a false god. And so some people said, wait a minute, I can't eat that meat. That meat's been offered to a false idol. And other people said, it's just meat. It's just barbecued meat. That's all it is. There's nothing wrong with eating that. That would be true. But Paul says what matters is integrating 
your tradition and your life. Make sure that you treat your brother or sister in a way that has integrity. Jesus says in our text, it's not what it's not what you eat. Doesn't matter half if you had a piece of German chocolate cake. It doesn't matter. That that's not going to make you clean. It might clog your arteries, but it, it's not going to make you clean or unclean. What matters is come out what comes out of your mouth. In other words, the heart stuff. And so he had his his list here. Uh, it, it's really kind of all of it. Fornication. That's a uh, that's sexual infidelity. Theft. Murder. Adultery. Adultery is, is more of the, uh, the marital type, and fornication is more of the, the non-marital type. Avarice, that's like greed. Uh, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness. A person who's licentious lives without any controls on their life. No controls. Devil may care, do what I want to do. Envy, slander, pride, folly. Well, you can see why that would be stuff that would make you unclean. That's, that's the bad stuff. That's what corrupts life. That's what makes us treat each other badly. And all that stuff is bred in the heart. It doesn't come from what we eat. So whether you eat pickled pig's feet or goat, it matters very, very little in the matter of heart. Except if you fail to wash your hands or eat the meat without concern for your brother or sister. Really does matter what other people, what I'm doing, what my life is doing to you matters, Jesus says. It matters. And it, it completely changes the way that I live. It, it changes the way I orient my life because now I live it for me, not for me, but for you, and vice versa. Our nation has an obsession about food. We have a food channel. We have many food channels. Uh, the lifestyle section of the newspaper has recipes, right? Um, Every so often I'll see something on the internet that looks particularly good, and there'll be a picture of it. And so I'll copy it and put it in my Evernote account, and I send Bev a copy. Food everywhere. Commercials advertise the latest diet craze. And now we even have psychoses based on food consumption. It's a crazy world, isn't it? But we're no better as a nation in terms of the way we live, the way we treat other nations, the way we treat our poor, the way we, you know, the way we treat one another. We're, we're just no better because we have failed to understand that it's not what we eat, but it's what comes out of us that defiles us. The Bible's preoccupied with the heart. It's preoccupied with it. Um, Paul told Titus, to the pure, all things are pure. 
I, I think Paul is saying there's a kind of innocence about people who, who are pure. He's not saying that they never make a mistake or that sort of thing, but he's saying that they, they have sort of this innocent, pure kind of way of relating to everything. Um, furthermore, Paul said that a, a byproduct of a corrupted heart is a division of thought and action. This is from Titus 1. They profess to know God, but they deny him by, that, by their actions. They know God, but they deny him by their actions. person who does not understand the importance of the heart does not give attention to the heart's health, to, to what's here. Um, I saw an article recently that explored the idea of how, how we become what we think about constantly. So we're getting to heart stuff here. And in this article it talks about, uh, this was actually uh, it's been a while since I read it, but uh, it was a woman who had been jilted by her husband who, who then leaves her and marries her sister. And that's painful enough, that's awful enough, but then in the article she confesses that she became so obsessed and so preoccupied with it that it made her an angry, vengeful person. And so what happened is this wrong that was done to her, it was a wrong. It was awful. But it took up residence in her heart and it continued to punish her. So Jesus and the Bible correctly help us to see that the condition of our heart is of most importance. There is nothing more important than this. Um, I'm continually blown away by... Uh, th this is probably the most un uncomfortable stuff in the Bible. It's the most uncomfortable stuff in the Bible. It's the stuff that I have the most trouble with. But I, I see texts in, in, uh, in Psalms, for example. In, in Psalms, it, it says one of the things that God really admires is somebody that will keep an agreement even if it hurts them. Really? But that's the kind of heart that God has. That's the sort of commitment that God has. Heart. Uh, it, it means that, that I start attending to other people, to my brothers and sisters, and I, I start thinking, how will my behavior affect you? Will it blow you out of the bucket? Well, then I need to reel myself back in, and I need to rethink how I, how I relate to you. There's something comforting about ritual. Uh, we have a ritual here. It's a tradition. It's, we call it the Lifespring Five-Minute Break. We all laugh about it because we know it's not five minutes, but we also all like it because it gives us a chance to interact and hug and talk and greet visitors and, and do all that sort of thing. We love it. 
And so every Sunday when you come to LifeSpring, you don't have to wonder, are we having the LifeSpring five-minute today or not? I, I can't remember what Sunday this is. And because we know that you can count on it. It's going to be here every Sunday. It's what we do. And so there's something comforting about that, isn't there? Because you, you don't have to spend a lot of energy, a lot of time thinking about that or planning for that or whatever. But ritual can also be wrong. And it becomes wrong when it becomes a substitute in my life for the heart stuff that we've been talking about. So it's Life Spring five minute break time, and I spend all my time talking to Rich because Rich is my favorite person. And, and I don't, you know, I don't, I'm picking on Jared this morning, but I don't talk to Jared because I'd rather talk to Rich. That makes it wrong. Do you see what I'm saying? That makes it wrong. I think also kind of a, a side note is that I'm not going to always win in these kinds of tr transactions if I'm thinking about you. I'm not going to always win. And this is the part I don't like about it. Because, you know, I told Robin I'd come over and I'd help her do something, but, man, I'm so sleepy and I want 30 more minutes of sleep and I'll just roll over. Robin won't mind. But she does. You know, it, it hurt her because I didn't keep my word to her. Uh, heart stuff. It also comes in the, the way that... <clears throat> Um, I had a interesting thing happen on, on Thursday night. Somebody, this young woman came up and hugged me, and it just caught me off guard. And it made my night. Because I never expected a hug. I mean, we're... You know, friendly basis and that sort of thing. But I, I think what I learned from that was that it doesn't matter where I, whether I get something back from something, but it matters that I care about people over time, over time. And this hug was the culmination, in my mind, of years of just paying attention, just saying hi, just smiling. How's your day? And I, I think that's what Jesus is trying to teach me when he says, it's not the stuff you eat. It's not that wonderful piece of pork you got. That's, that's not going to corrupt you. What corrupts you is the greed and the selfishness and the anger. That's the stuff that will blow your life up. So I think that the text really demands that we ask what we feed our hearts. What do you feed your heart? What do you feed it? If I only feed it what the culture gives me to feed it. 
I'm going to be malnourished. I promise you I will be malnourished. I will be selfish and greedy and self-centered. I will only think about myself. I will not think about you. I will not think about you. If I eat what the culture gives me. So, I'd, I'd, like, I'd just like to leave you with that question. Uh, what do you eat? What do you put into your heart? How's your heart doing? With that, let's pray. Dear Father, please remind us to take care of our hearts because it's the part of us that guides us to good or evil. May we not be deceived by what our world tells us, protect us from corrupting influences, give us wisdom and discipline as we set about to live with integrity and wholeness within your grace. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.